the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, it is a Thursday, and Jr. will be here in uh, a sh- in short order. He he sent me a little uh, message saying I'm running behind about five minutes, but uh, Jamie will be there on time. So Jamie was here on time. He rang the doorbell. I went to answer the front doorbell, and he just came around to the front. He had been on the side. Did did the doorbells ring differently, Russ, between the front and the back? Yes, they do. What do they? What what does it? Well, it's a double ding for the uh, for one of them and a single ding for one the other. One says Yanny and one says Laurel. Oh, did you see that story oh, today? Dude, don't even go there with me <laughs> right now. Have, did you read that story today? That CBS had read it. Nothing. I heard it on CBS or uh, one of the network. It would be CBS. Megan had it on yesterday. Well, I tell you what, they don't sound the same to me, and they're not the same to me. Just the bizarrest thing I've ever heard. You know, I don't think. You know, Yanni, the, the guy who plays the music, I don't think of him as Laura. Just don't. I don't confuse him with Laura Bush. You know what I'm saying? Just don't. Yeah, yeah man, you are stretching <laughs> it. <thin. laughs> I'm just saying. All right, we've got a big show today. we got uh, JR. He's going to be on. Jamie has stopped by as well. And uh, I want to talk to him a little bit about the campaign that the governor is running for uh, – uh, re-election. We'll get to that. Uh, as well as today, uh, we're going to be uh, speaking with Attorney Luther Suders coming in second hour. We're going to have him in, let him talk about what it is that he wants to talk about, about the sovereign immunity issue that he's trying to bring up in front of the Supreme Court. We'll fi- figure out what that's all about. Brian Riley will join us. We're going to talk about NAFTA with him because, you know, the the president is, uh, we're down to getting to the last moments. He's got to figure out what he's going to do. We'll see what Brian says that the president probably will do. As well as, I'll tell you what, if you're like me and you've been, this whole fake news thing, I don't look at it as fake news as much as I, I see it as the national media is, is is in the bucket against the president. So today, I want to show it to you and prove it to you without a shadow of a doubt. Yesterday, he had a meeting talking about sanctuary cities. He mentioned and was talking to one of the people at the table. They were talking about MS-13, and the president called them animals. He didn't say MS-13 is animals, but in the context of the discussion, you know that he was talking about MS-13. Look, I've done hours on MS-13 and told you they're animals, all right, here on on this show. Well, anyway, uh, the left now is saying he called all immigrants animals, which is not true. I'm going to play a piece from Nancy Pelosi. I know it tries my soul to do that, but I you got to hear her because this is the lies that are coming from her, Schumer, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, and all of them. So I want to play it. Then I got to play uh, the uh, the president's press secretary today. And she put them in their place. 
and you're going to love the piece I got on that. So that's coming up either at 3.30 to 4 or 4.30 to 5, maybe to 4.30 to 5 because um, the 3 o'clock guests may go a little long. So anyway, that's what's up today. It's what sets this, this show apart. Everybody else just wants to say crazy stuff and say, what do you think about it? I try to give you the news and try to and try to give you something to think about. But if you want to get involved in the discussion, you're welcome. A two three oh nine six five. Phone lines always open. It's never closed to you unless I have a guest on, which is very seldom, who says I'd rather not take calls. Even Hickson is coming on tomorrow. Judge Hickson mm-hmm. is going to be on the show tomorrow in the four o'clock hour, and he's open to take calls. So if you want to call him, I'll, I'll tell you this. In the judges race, don't ask a question because they'll just say, I really can't answer that. <laughs> Which is true. They really can't yeah, answer that. Yeah, that's what they'll say. I just, I just can't answer they that. They can't ask for money. They can't answer that. Okay, so story today in the paper, Jamie. This is on the just below the fold of the Arkansas section of the dim gas. Hutchinson extends his lead in funds for governor's race. Story written by Michael Wickline. Uh, instead of me reading what Michael uh, Wickline is reporting. Why don't I just turn it over to you and you can give us all the necessary information. Sure. So uh, the governor had, you know, another good few weeks of uh, fundraising reporting. Uh, you know, he, he, they file monthly until the 10-day pre-election report, and that covers more like six weeks. Right. And so in that period uh, that he we reported on yesterday, he raised uh, well over $700,000. And, it, it, you know, it's a lot of money. And it was actually so much money that one of the reporters – um, responded to me when we released that uh, with a statement and said, uh, are you sure? That sure seems a bit high. And so, you know, that's just a good testament to the job the governor's doing, the support he has from people. You know, uh, we're at, at right around a 1,000 donations of $100 or below in the campaign. We've had, you know, hundreds of unique donors. Um, and so, you know, it's just a testament to the job he's done and the, the things he said he was going to do that he's done those, and people people understand that. All right, so the governor's primary campaign account – totals $1.61 million as of this last Saturday. Is that last Saturday or is that this Saturday? It says on Saturday, so I don't know whether that would have, they're projecting or No, talking. that would have been last Saturday. Last Saturday, yes. okay. When it fin- finished, according, well, it's according to his report, so it had to be last Saturday. Also reported raising uh, $79,950 spending nothing in the period from April 1 through April 30 for the general election to boost that campaign account to $659,900 as of April 30th. In total, the governor has raised nearly $3.9 million, spent $1.5 million and some change, leaving a campaign war chest of $2.2 million, according to you. This is this. It's according to Jamie Barker. Well, that is I, you, correct, sir? <laughs> according also to our legal reports that we have to file, but yeah, that's me. <laughs> okay, just checking. Just checking. Uh, Jan Morgan, Hot Springs, reported raising $58,535.38, spending $46,420.97 in the period between April 1 and Saturday. In total, she reported receiving $144,027.27 in contributions, spending $116,031.36, leaving $27,995.91 in her campaign treasury. Uh, Let me just ask you this, because she's run a, a, a 
pretty doggone decent grassroots campaign. But she spent, it says here, uh, spent $116,000. Can you look at her 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 expenditures and tell what she's spending the money on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can actually look at any candidate that files these reports. Okay, so I need to start see, doing this. See how those are, yeah. And see how those are itemized, um, okay. and see you know where they're spending their money, how they're allocating resources, and you know things like that. So, what does that tell you when you look at that? And you're the communications director. You you work closely with the governor in this campaign. What does that type of material let you in on? Well, it just it tells you where people see you know their best chance at reaching voters, at making a difference, um, so on and so forth. I mean, obviously. Things like TV ads are more expensive, but there there's a you know a benefit to those if you can get a certain number of them on air um, to reach you. Yeah, to frequency reach is right. the, is right. the game for television and radio. Right, and so you know seeing how your opponent's doing that, seeing how we're doing that, and you know how that works with our strategy to reach the voter um, and let them know you know the job the governor's done and why they need to make sure to vote before May the twenty second for him. Uh, you know. It's, it helps, you know, kind of guide, guide you along, figure out, you know, what everybody's doing and just keep tabs on what's going on in the race. Which goes a long way in explaining what I always say is that money is the mother's milk of politics. <laughs> it is. Well, I mean, you've got to have X amount of dollars to put on, I believe, a legitimate campaign. I mean, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you've definitely got to be able to reach people. I mean, you can't, there's, you know, 3 million Arkansans, and it'd be awful hard to get out and shake every one of them's hand before yeah, Election Day. Agreed. So you've got to be able to reach them, you know, through multiple methods. And traditional, you know, wisdom says you've got to, you know, reach them in different and unique ways multiple times before you've ever convinced anyone that you're even a, you know, possible vote. And so, you know, resources are important, but so is, you know, the record that you're running on and the message that you're putting out. It's equally, if not more important. Um, than the resources you have. Because if your message is terrible, if what you've done is no good, it doesn't really matter how many times you get in front of them because it's not going to resonate. Okay, so being in the, le- the re-election campaign, let me name some things and you tell me which you think are important. All okay. right? Just, uh, j- sure. This is just for uh, general edification for everybody. Television. I think it can be important. Um, we're, we're on air on multiple different stations uh, with the governor's re-election campaign. Uh, that's one of those things that it can get pricey because we've got, you know, perhaps multiple different media markets that reach different parts of the state. So you're having to buy ad buys and, you know, those different markets and things like that. So, you know, I think it's definitely a positive if you can do it. But, you know, in a different races, it because that, you know, it depends if you're running, you know, as a constitutional officer, maybe secretary of state, it may not be the best allocation of resources to drop, you know, a majority of your campaign budget on one ad that may run on, you know, three times a week on a weekend or something you know, it just kind of depends. It's a that goes back act. to frequency again. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and what, how, as as a guy who's sitting there in the meetings, because there's more than just you making these decisions. Right. And because the governor's sitting there, you're sitting there, and other people are throwing out inf- information. I'm sure the governor has the final say, basically. Uh, when you talk about something like, uh, you know, like, I'm just trying to give an insight into a race here. When you're talking about television, do you all sit down and look at two, three different TV ads and and watch them and say, well, I like that one, but that one sucks. <laughs> you know, I mean, do you do that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, we do. We do that on the front end before you've spent time, you know, producing, filming, you know, editing all these different ads. Um, you know, you definitely want to focus on things that matter, and that obviously changes in a primary election. 
you know, you're talking to a specific audience of people that, you know, expands to, you know, all of the state in the general election. And so you're gonna have to look at things like that, balance that, say, you know, you know, what did the governor do when he ran the first time? You know, he, probably, he wanted to be the jobs governor. We wanted to cut taxes and we wanted to, you know, put computer coding into every single high school. You know, so obviously those three things are going to matter a whole lot to voters. They remember electing him on those promises last time. And so we actually have an ad running right now called Promises Kept. And that's, you know, personally one of my favorite ads um, because it just tells the voter, hey, here's what we said we're going to do. Here's what we did, and here's how we're going to keep doing it going forward. And so, yeah, you definitely have to, you know, prioritize certain issues over the others because you're talking to a certain audience of people, just like marketing. You know, if you're marketing a product, you've got to make people care about the product, and it's got to connect in some way. And so same thing, ads run the same way. Okay, so is a, a political campaign the same way it is on marketing just a specific product, sell the sizzle? Uh, well, I mean, I think the sizzle is what you've done. Uh, you know, I, I've okay. never worked in marketing, but I think campaigns are probably similar. Uh, but to the people, the question is, you know, if you're an elected official already, did you get results? Did you do what you say you're going to do? And did you deliver on the things you promised to do on office? And I think the governor's done an extremely good job of that, which is why we're running an ad saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's selling the sizzle for, sh- for sure. All right, radio. How important is radio? I think it's another good traditional method to good reach people. Good answer. No, go ahead. <laughs> you know, sorry. Go ahead. 1011 in Little Rock is a great station to advertise on. Um, but, uh, no, I think it's good. I, I mean, Arkansas, it's a traditionally rural state. I know growing up, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't bother to buy CDs. We didn't have iPods, which people have now, but it's still in rural Arkansas. People listen to the radio. People get in the car in their mornings. They're driving to their kids to school. They're driving to their morning shift, you know, whatever it is. They're coming home from work, going by the store. They're listening to the radio. And so it's a good way to spread your message wider than just, you know, TV or, you know, direct mail or whatever it may be. I think, you know, it's another one more good avenue. Again, you've got to have unique ways to reach people. And, you know, diversifying how you're reaching them is a guaranteed way to reach more people. All right. So social media has become a buzzword in, in politics. But how important is it? It, I, it dep- is, as with anything, it depends. I think Facebook in, in Arkansas especially, I mean, I don't remember the last statistic, but some crazy percentage of Americans are on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And in Arkansas, you know, people probably, you know, in Alma aren't sitting on Twitter all day. They're probably not on Instagram a whole lot. I know in Smackover where I'm from, if you have Verizon, Instagram just about won't load. Um <laughs> but Facebook is pretty reliable. People generally have, you know, some decent access to Wi-Fi and people like being able to connect with people. So Facebook's a good engaging way. And so I think Facebook's definitely, a, you know, a useful tool for campaigns because you can do it. And it's also free. I mean, you don't have to advertise. You can use it organically to reach your people and, you know, use that to boost your audience. And so, you know, I think that's a good plus for Facebook for sure. Do you think that social media can win a race for a political uh, uh, person without using any of the other media out there? No. Because well, there's people you, who believe that. Well, it depends. I mean, no is the answer. Because at the end of the day, the question is, did you connect with with somebody? Did you shake their hand at their county fair? You know, did you go to their mother-in-law's house, knocking doors on Thursday afternoon, and, you know, hand them a push card? There, you can't. You can do all these media things, but in, unless you're actually connecting with the person, unless they feel, you know, that personal connection that it requires to, you know, elect someone to make decisions on behalf of you in government, um, you know, I, social media is good for, you know, initial contact, for spreading your message, you know, far and wide. Um, but I, I don't think it's a replacement for other methods of reaching people. 
Push cards. <laughs> it, that that one, it depends. The more local, the better they are. Um, I mean, we definitely... The smaller the race, I would think, right, the more exactly, important they are. Exactly. Because, again, in a statewide race with three in a state of three million people that's extremely rural, what are the odds you're going to be able to get a push card in every single hand in rural Arkansas? Very little. Um, and but you know if you're running for county you know city council push card could be extremely important because that may you may not have any other money to do anything except knock doors and hand those people those cards, and that may be the only information they see. So you know uh, this is all a balancing act, um, but it's all made easier when your candidate has a record that of doing what he said he was going to do, and you know that's what makes you know marketing the governor, if you will, a whole lot easier is that fact. All right, let me talk about. Uh David Lucas, because he's letting everybody know that the conventional wisdom is that you should delay claiming Social Security to maximize your benefits. But that strategy today could wind up costing you tens of thousands of dollars. There's a lot more to claiming your Social Security benefits than you know. Your decision uh, your decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes and double your Medicare premiums. Ultimately, it could cost you tens of thousands of dollars, possibly more. Learn how you could avoid this with a free customized Social Security review from David Lucas of David Lucas Financial right here in North Little Rock. You know that David's a published author. He's on my show from time to time. He's a personal friend of mine. He's hosted the David Lucas Show here on 101.1 The Answer. So if you've saved $200,000 for retirement, you can be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free review now Just dial up 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690. All right, we've got uh, just about two minutes left before we get to the news. I'm going to keep uh, Jamie here with us for that two minutes. Then JR is here. He is sitting over by the other microphone, but being strangely quiet. But that's, that's understandable because... He's on the policy side, and Jamie sitting in front of us is on uh, the, uh, uh, you know, running for the office side, the campaign side. So we're down to today is Thursday. The vote happens Tuesday. So we're down to about, what, six days left? Is that what we're looking at? What do you do in the last six days? Is there anything you can do in the last six uh, six days to make a difference except not make some kind of fatal faux pas uh, that makes the news on the front page. Well, you can go vote, which is what the governor is going to be doing tomorrow. Okay. Um, so that's pretty important. Uh, you know, you definitely want to make sure you got there and vote for yourself. He's going to be voting tomorrow um, in Benton County with his grandson. It's his first time to vote. And you set out a press release, I'm sure, on it saying he'll be here at this time, correct? That is correct. That All is right. correct. Makes sense. 30 um, seconds. You know. We're push, we'll push, you know, our, our people continue to push them to the polls, continue to get out the vote effort, um, you know, and just do that all the way into, through Tuesday evening. And then, you know, at Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, that's when you, you finally rest. All right. We've got 20 seconds. Where are you all going to be Tuesday night? Uh, we are going to be – I'll get you the invitation. Okay. Because I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing off the top okay. of my head, and I don't remember which hotel it is. All right. We're going to just leave it at that right now. Jamie, thanks for coming on. We'll – talk with you perhaps a little further on in the show today but jr davis governor spokesperson's up next after the news on the dave ellswick show i want to thank jamie barker for joining us uh, in that first half hour and and just talking what it's like to to run a political campaign Uh, a lot of people do not realize everything that goes into that i mean the same thing goes for jam morgan's campaign all the way down to dog catcher uh, maybe not on the, the same large, you know, kind of plane, 
just like running for governor is not running like running for president. But still, uh, it's um, it's intense. Let's just put it that way. It, it, it is an intense thing that you go through. J.R. Davis has uh, moved into the studio. He joins us now on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, he just he just dropped something on me just a moment ago. I didn't realize that there was a, a press conference uh, going on. And uh, you were there, and then you left and ran over here to be on the air. And what's going on at the That's press right. conference? Well, the press conference today was uh, for uh, an announcement from the federal government that we're receiving $26 million uh, in additional funding uh, for uh, early childhood uh, assistant programs. Uh, and so right now we have about 2,000 individuals on a waiting list. This money will allow us to uh, eliminate that wait list. So anytime we can eliminate a wait list, that's a good thing. This is coming from the federal government. Uh, but it does give us a lot of flexibility, about 90% of it, that mm-hmm. we can really uh, utilize in, in different places, that sort of thing. So it's going to be it, good. Explain in what kind of different places and stuff. Well, mm-hmm. it's just sort of like the – it's just, uh, you know, we are talking about pre-K, right. know, access to pre-K. That opens some, some spots up as far as the vouchers go for okay. different families. Uh, they have to meet a certain level. Uh, as far as the poverty line goes, they have to have a, a child at home that's between you know zero and twelve years old, um, and and so it's just it's important uh, that the federal government, uh, you know, again, it's just about that flexibility to the states, um, and they're continuing to do that, and this is another example of that that they're giving these funds to the states um, to use uh, as they see fit. There are some parameters, but it really helps us uh, target some of those. Um, areas where uh and that list specifically to get people uh families and their kids into pre-k so they can really start learning from an early age and that's important especially we've got this new reading initiative where we're trying to get kids up to the third grade uh third grade reading level at by third grade imagine that um and uh, i think that's something that's really taken off across the state this is certainly going to help obviously getting um kids into uh pre-k early on so they can uh, start uh learning those important uh, skills before they get into the grade level all right now this is to work with this is for the kids not for the teachers or whatever this specifically for the students yeah specifically for the students but it just opens up that access um, for uh, additional uh, pre-k okay. uh, classrooms and that sort of thing so overall it's a really really well overall i mean it's a great thing for the state it really helps us um, eliminate that wait list so uh, kids can get in and start learning earlier so right. it's it's a good thing but as part of that news conference uh, the governor was asked a question uh, from one of the members of the media, I believe it was uh, Wes Brown from Talk Business, that said, "You know, give us an update on you know border uh, security and you know what Arkansas is doing." And, and you remember this last week that, uh, or it might have been earlier this week, man, it's all run together. Mm-hmm. Um, but that Arkansas early on, the governor called um, Secretary Nielsen at Homeland Security and said, "Hey, we've got your back. Whatever you need, let us know." Uh, they've been utilizing border states. Uh, Arkansas was one of the only non-border states that said, hey, let us know if we can help. Well, let me uh, just say this. When I talk about illegal immigration, here's what I tell everybody. Everybody's a border state. That's right. Because whatever happens in Texas, whatever happens in Arizona, whatever happens in Southern California or in New Mexico affects us as well. Absolutely. And the governor's been a staunch advocate for enforcing our uh, immigration laws in this country. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, when the president said, hey, we, we need your assistance, 
uh, and it was really a volunteer um, opportunity. The governor said 100% we're there for you. So last week or the beginning of this week, they tapped the Arkansas National Guard with two helicopters and 10 personnel. So not not a great deal. Um, But again, we're not one of the border states. So it's really big for Arkansas to be able to uh, assist in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then actually on Monday, uh, the governor was invited to the White House to uh, have dinner with President Trump. This uh, is this coming this Monday. This is this coming Monday. 21st. Right. To uh, to discuss border security and their efforts. And really a sort of a thank you um, to those states that said, hey, you know, Pre- Mr. President, whatever you need, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there will be a, a couple of other governors there, two or three more. Um, but it's really just a uh, discuss border patrol and, and what the president would like to do and just um, maintain our commitment to the president, whatever they need on that front. Yeah. So. Any, anybody who's listened to my show over the years knows that I've, you know, the whole thing about illegal immigration is a topic I talk to and talk about a lot. And uh, you also know about the uh, different groups that are out there and how they've attacked the show and called me uh, every kind of phobe that there you can be called and uh doesn't stop me from every year going to dc and being part of hold their feet to the fire from uh, the federation of american uh, immigration and uh, i'll be there again this year in the beginning of september but uh you know look when you look at ms-13 that's affecting mm-hmm. cities all over the united states when you look at how they dumped uh illegal immigrants coming into this country all over the United States and destroyed school systems over in New England and other places. This is a national problem that mm-hmm. needs to be seriously dealt with. Yeah, 100%. And and the governor's background, I mean, he's uh, not only the former administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration, yep. so he understands the issues of, of the drug cartels coming up through the southern border into states like Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously where a lot of the meth problems in our state come from as well. Um, and, and so he understands the importance of enforcing uh, those laws uh, but also his time at Homeland Security. He was the Undersecretary of Border Patrol. So that's a big part of his experience and resume. So he understands the importance of it. And quite frankly, Dave, you know this. A lot of your listeners know this. But, w- I mean, we are, a, we are a country of laws. That's what separates us. Uh, I wonder sometimes. Sure. But, I mean, what's Especially our- in California. Right. Exactly. But when you look at the laws of our land, the governor, as a former U.S. attorney under Reagan, he understands that we have to enforce these laws that are on the books. If you pass anything else, you do anything else, it doesn't matter unless you enforce the laws on the books, which is why you've heard uh, some folks out there uh, you know, uh, saying that the governor supports sanctuary cities because of a piece of legislation. That could not be further from the truth. The fact of the matter is local law enforcement should already be cooperating with the federal law enforcement agencies to enforce our immigration laws in this land, and the governor is said plainly and simply that as long as I'm governor, we will absolutely force local law enforcement to cooperate with federal law enforcement in order to uh, carry out the laws of the lands when it comes to immigration. So I like to put some of that to rest as we approach, I know, the May 22nd primary, but that's something that's out there that people really need to understand, that we have laws on the books already, and we're going to enforce those laws. That's how you make sure that people follow the rule of law if you enforce the laws, and that's what the governor plans on doing. So I think there will probably be some talks about that Monday night, uh, but in general I think it's just a uh, 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 really sort of shows the relationship Arkansas has with this administration. You see uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders up there with uh, President Trump. She's done a phenomenal job. We've got a lot of Arkansas connections, but I think it speaks loud and clear to the relationship that Arkansas has uh, with this administration 
um, in that you know the governor's going to go up there Monday night to talk about something so important to this nation, which is border security. Did the governor ask the uh, the president to have fried okra on the on the menu? You know, I don't I don't know if they actually get a say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. Let's take a break. We've got more to come. Uh, J.R. Davis in for this half hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. When we come back, let's talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on sports gambling, and they put it firmly into the lap now of the states, which means that the governor and the universities are going to have some long discussions here in the upcoming uh, weeks. So we'll take a break and come back with more. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, you need to be listening to the show on Friday, 4 o'clock. Judge Hickson is going to come on. I got just one question for him. Why did he point the finger at David Sterling? Sterling has nothing to do with these two organizations that are out there that are spending this money. So I do have that uh, question for him. He'll be in studio on Friday from 4 o'clock until 5 o'clock. You won't want to miss that hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And you don't want to miss the last, uh, what we got here, about 12 minutes with J.R. Davis. So stay right where you're at. He is the spokesman for the governor's office. The uh, U.S. Supreme Court shot down the federal government controlling gambling legislation and I think did a, a wonderful job of actually interpreting uh, the, uh, the Constitution in the way it should by saying that States have the right to make their decision on whether they want to have sports gambling or not. That does leave a sticky wicket, so to speak, uh, for the politicians here in the state. The state, uh, you know, uh, the legislature is going to have to make some decisions about this. And then the governor has to look at what the legislation and legislators say and decide whether, you know, he'll vote for the bill withhold his signature or veto the bill that's three things that he can do right now jr how is the how's the governor seeing this what what is his what what is it that he wants to do about this uh subject well i think first of all review it Uh, i think that's the biggest thing and i think for states rights this was a big decision um that basically saying congress it's it's there's only there's a certain point where you cannot you know control what states do that's exactly I think that's right. very very important um that that sort of decision came down nice from the precedent. supreme court yes nice precedent so that's great news for the states uh, as far as you know sports gambling goes in the state of arkansas you know, the governor said that you know historically arkansas has opposed any you know broad expansion of gambling with with you know exception to the scholarship the lottery, lottery which has you know a good benefit to it um, but uh, he, you know, he has supported uh, this more restrictive approach. But you know, now we'll need to review the Supreme Court's decision and, and track how states uh, are reacting to it um, and what this means for Arkansas. So I think it's really just sort of reviewing uh, the decision and then where we go from here as far as a state. And you look at states like Mississippi and New Jersey, who were basically up and running. I mean, they they were ready to go. Now, granted, Mississippi is a state with you know, casinos galore, um, and, and Arkansas is not, and we haven't been. And so, um, but then there's also the argument of, of the economic impact to the state as well. If, if people are doing How this sort of thing. How much tax money 
can well, you get out of that? I mean, but but specifically too, if you've got people that are are doing this sort of thing, you know, down south in Mississippi, or if they're you know New Jersey or Las Vegas uh, doing it from home, I mean, that sort of thing. So there's there's a lot of things to take into consideration here. But this is certainly new territory for states. Um, this was a decision that was overturned that has been the law for a very long time. Um, so I think that that's just something that. Uh, like you said, the, the governor, the legislature just needs to study it and see the appropriate way Arkansas should move forward. And I'll say this. I mean, we, we certainly don't want Arkansas to get you know left out uh, in, in a situation that could enhance our economy. But at the same time, we have to remember what this is uh, and, and how we do it. Uh, in the most appropriate fashion. And so so there's a lot of questions out there, but the governor obviously sees this as a big win for states' rights, and then we'll continue to study it. Uh, as the governor, as uh, our legislators, I don't know if you know what legislators, what kind of phone calls they're getting, but are the voters already weighing in on this? Uh, you know, you see some social media traffic out there and, and some, some folks, especially in the, the sports community, uh, that have probably been, you know, watching this as it's moved through the courts. Uh, and and not, not probably most people haven't been watching it the, in that particular community uh, has been for sure. So you see a lot of traffic locally uh, in Arkansas about it. Uh, I think voters are probably uh, also studying it and exactly what this means and what was, you know, what was the status quo before? Mm-hmm. What does it mean now? So I really think right now everybody, for the most part, is in this sort of, OK, what does this mean? Uh, right. bubble. Um, but again, you know, the governor has always been very thoughtful uh, and his approach to things like this. And so we want to we want to make sure that uh, Arkansas comes out uh, on the right end of this uh, and on the, uh, uh, you know, economic <laughs> friendly end of yeah. this as well. So so there's there's opportunities out there. There's also some questions. And so we're going to continue to study it. But um, to answer your question, I think most people are probably doing the same thing, just l- looking at what this is and what it means. I know one group that have been watching this burst into tears when the Supreme Court made their decision and we'll fight against it. The bookies. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The bookies will yeah, not day, happy with this. The day the bookies died. And that's, yeah, uh, it could be. Yeah. It really, so, really but could it's, be. It's, uh, it's an interesting time to be alive. Uh, and I'm not just speaking to that, but you've got some other decisions coming down from the Supreme Court this summer and, and, uh, yeah. and the environment of politics. And, um, and, you know, you look at Arkansas from a whole and where we are and where we've been. Uh, it's pretty astronomical how much we've moved in the last uh, three and a half years. Um, and so I, I think it's exciting, and 2019 is looking like a uh, – you know, 2017 we saw a lot of great stuff. We talked about unemployment, high employment, all those records, tax cuts, um, you know, GDP growth, the fact that uh, we were one of two states that recognized lowest unemployment rate along with 3% wage growths. Uh, that was just 2017. 2018 looks to be a really special year for Arkansas as well, especially if you look at the fourth quarter growth of GDP in the state. I think that shows that we're we're uh, uh, we're looking to move, you know, and we've got a very diverse economy, and and I think that we're in a good position moving into 2019. So uh, there's a lot going on, and and a lot of great opportunities for the state uh, to really kind of emerge uh, as, uh, and I really think a powerhouse in the region of other states, especially for our size. All right. We're sitting here. we got just a few moments left with uh, J.R. Davis, and uh, we're not going to have enough time to really give this the coverage I'd like. We'll probably pick it up again next week when uh, J.R. comes in, and that is uh, Judge Griffin, uh, the uh, judge out of Pulaski County, the circuit judge, has a ruling in a lawsuit by Jonesboro-based Legal Aid of Arkansas, and he has said 
that the State Department of Human Services failed to provide adequate public notice before it began using an algorithm in 2016 that allocates care. And this deals basically, it looks like to me, to elder care, people 20, uh, 65 years of age and up. The governor's uh, thoughts on this? Well, first of all, it comes down to this, that the... the uh you know, Judge Griffin said they didn't promulgate it right. DHS says yes, we did promulgate it correctly. Um, but uh, in in the uh, um, you know the essence of time and the fact that they want to make sure that these folks are taken care of, they done an emergency promulgation that went before the subcommittee today. That'll go before full ALC tomorrow, so we can get this back up and running. I mean, the fact of the matter is, uh, this is a new system, but it's also an objective system, and it makes sure that people with the same sort of disabilities are getting the the, the amount of hours that they should be, um, but also across the board. And so you're not seeing sort of this um, uh, this plotted system of of you know random hours here, random hours there. So what it does is really provides an objective look uh, at individuals and saying, okay, this these are the amount of hours that you should be allotted. Um, for your care, there's some exceptions there that if you're, um, uh, if yours is more of a severe case and that sort of thing, and there is a little bit of discretion still out there, um, but most of it is the uh, objective nature that they can uh, uh, allocate these hours as they should be, and and for a number of reasons. One is we make sure people get the care they're supposed to get. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not sort of a someone eyes you up and down and says, ah, oh, you should probably get this many hours, right? This is this is objective. But number two, it also allows the state to provide. Uh, or to utilize those resources in a more efficient manner so we can reach more individuals uh, that may not be getting the hours they were getting before. So I think if you look at the paper, it was you know 47%, uh, 47% of those beneficiaries uh, had their hours declined, 43% had their hours increased, and 10% stayed the same. So you really didn't see a whole lot of movement as far as you know, uh, you know, as far as everyone going down, everyone going up, it just basically says we want to look at this objectively and make sure that we are giving people um, uh, the care, uh, the necessary care that they need um, on a daily basis, but that we're also not giving too much. Uh, and that's really important because if you're going to be p- efficient with taxpayer dollars, you want to make sure that you're, you're uh, caring for each individual person um, on, on that needs basis. But Again, like I said, it comes down to the fact that Judge Griffin said they didn't do it right. DHS absolutely said they did. But um, in the nature of the situation uh, and the urgency, we want to make sure that we repromulgate it with an emergency rule so we can get that out there and take care of those folks. Okay, so when it's in a, a situation where the government says, yeah, we are taking care of, the court saying, no, you aren't taking care of, it's got to be litigated at that point again does it stay in front of uh, Judge Griffin, or does it move on? We've got about a minute left here. Sure. Well, in this particular case, and I won't speak um, super far into the future, but in this particular case, they had to do the emergency promulgation. Right. And once that passes, and it passed today from the subcommittee, and I'm not sure if that means that they can go ahead and move on to it or if it needs to go to the full ALC tomorrow. However, once that's done, they can go ahead and start assessing those individuals. They haven't been able to since Griffin um, put a halt to that, which I think is just, you know, when you really put that into perspective, that's that's sad. Uh, you know, first and foremost, that he says it wasn't done correctly. So right now you can't assess anyone. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there that absolutely need these hours and need to be reassessed to make sure if they need more or maybe they need less because they've improved or whatever the situation is. But because of his ruling, it's put a stop to it completely. Um, but DHS and I think uh, just the strong leadership from Cindy Gillespie and their staff over there, they're saying, okay, you know what? We disagree. 
with Judge Griffin. However, we want to make sure we're taking care of our clients, and and that's that's what they're doing, and that's their focus right now. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this hour with uh, J.R. Davis. We always appreciate you coming in. Uh, by the time you come in next week, the primary will be over, and uh, we'll either be talking about the governor is not running for re-election, or we'll be talking about the governor is running for re-election, and at that, we'll take up that topic in the, the next edition. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and we can talk about that on Thursday. We will do so. All right. Thank you very much. Sounds good. Thank Appreciate you. you, JR. Thanks for being in here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We've got more coming uh, your way here on this show, unless you're listening at 5 o'clock. And then I'll be back at 2 tomorrow. It's the Dave Ellswick Show here on 101 FM, The Answer. All right, back for uh, the second hour of the Dave Ellswick Show today. Attorney Luther Suter is with us. And uh, he is suing, is it the governor, the state in general, or, or grab those headphones right there. Those are yours. That way we don't get any feedback or anything. So explain exactly what is happening here first, Mr. Suter. Well, Dave, thank you for coming on. Thank you for letting me come on. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, this this November election is going to be huge. All right. And uh, what we're talking about here is the right of the citizens to petition the government for redress. Those are big fancy words, but if you have a d- disagreement with the government, then historically you've been able to go and, and get— Called the First Amendment. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And historically, you've been able to uh, go, and uh, and if you disagreed with what the government was doing to you, you could get in front of a judge, and if the judge thought it was unconstitutional, he would act. Mm-hmm. But uh, in January, our Supreme Court uh, basically uh, held that our citizens do not have a right to petition our government in court— to redress any wrongs that they they may have. In other words, and I'm using big $10 words, uh, Dave, but essentially what it means is if the government screws you, you have to go in front of some more politicians to get relief. It's called the Claims Commission. Okay. And uh, I just have my faith in the people. Mm -hmm. And historically, I've tried to be apolitical. But uh, we've come to a, a spot, Dave, where... There's a there has to be a political solution to this. All right, so let me ask this question. All right, here in the state that may be the law, but if it is in uh, others to the the federal law, don't you have a, a legal recourse in federal court? Well, sometimes you do, but our Supreme Court just this past week expanded states rights i heard yep. I, I i heard the governor governor's uh, spokesperson talk about how good that is well what that means is federal court becomes less of a remedy and we and it, it requires the citizens to turn to state courts which is the way it should be okay i agree with that right and um uh, you know, uh, we we've 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 got this decision. Our attorney general refuses to to uh, approve a single ballot ballot title. And uh, she's been doing that with the casinos. Yes, sir. But she also did it with sovereign immunity. Okay. And what this is, Dave, is an attempt by these politicians to take our rights away. Now, r- recall. Republicans are the party that brought us the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm-hmm. Republicans were the party 
that brought us was we're the party of Lincoln. Okay. And these Republicans that are in power right now are trying to take power away from the people when historically our party has recognized that the power is in the people. Okay. And so what's happening with sovereign immunity right now, Dave, is the governor has said that he's going to instruct his agencies on a case-by-case basis on whether or not to waive sovereign immunity. And that's equivalent, if you're playing a poker hand, is if you're playing Texas Hold'em, that's equivalent to the other side getting to see the flop and you not getting to. The governor has the power right now to dismiss Heath Harris's lawsuit. Now, Mr. Harris brought a lawsuit saying that the gov- governor used his political power to to influence a hiring decision. Okay, you go ahead and, for the listeners, explain this suit to them and, and how you all see it. Well, how we see it and what the documents show is that my client was filed for, fired for insubordination immediately after telling his boss that he wasn't going to, to uh, hire the governor's boy. Okay. Because, right. because the guy was unqualified. We had a much more qualified candidate that could go to work immediately without training. Mm-hmm. And when my client refused to waste tax money, he was fired. Now, I expect our servants to treat government money like it's their own. But we see what our governor's doing. He's spending like a drunken sailor. Okay. And so we at this point, the fox is guarding the hen house. Asa Hutchison, if this Supreme Court ruling stands up, is accountable to nobody in state court. All right, so with this all in mind, what we're talking about right now, the lawsuit that you're pursuing from your client, will it be in state court or in federal court? Well, it it will be in state court because we can't bring this type of lawsuit in federal court because of the 11th Amendment. So if it gets to the Supreme Court of Arkansas, what makes you think that they'll rule any differently than they have already shown themselves ready to rule as as far as the sovereign you know immunity issues in, in, involved in this well in a subsequent case to the andrews case in a case called wather the uh the the supreme court said that uh, the governor or the the executive branch can waive this defense and it takes a heck of a man a heck of a man or woman to say you know I know I can win this lawsuit just by saying, nah, I don't want to show up. But, hey, I need to be vindicated. But I just don't think the governor's going to do that. I don't think the treasurer's not. We've got a case right now called Singer versus Milligan. And rather than, than, than Isaiah 118 says, come, let us uh, sit and reason. Mm-hmm. And rather than, rather than uh, the Singer case is a perfect example. Rather than, than sit down and, and try to reason with us, our treasurer spent hundreds of thousands of dollars defending a lawsuit that could have been settled for much, much less. So that's what you're seeing, Dave. You're seeing constitutional officers thinking that they are a power unto themselves. 
every single one of them that I know of. And so I'm coming to your viewers saying, I'm Luther Souter. I'm a lawyer. I've spent 23 years holding lawyers, doctors, government, all of them accountable. I'm one of the few lawyers that sue other lawyers mm-hmm. because lawyers need to be held accountable too. And issue one coming up in November is not a greedy lawyer issue. It is an attempt to, to take the power away from the people. Now, when in the world, in the history of our party, Dave, did we ever say we don't trust the people? Name one time, Dave. All right. Well, not for me to know that, but I'll just turn my attention to callers who are calling in. They want to talk to you. Please. Thank All right. You. Rick is in Bryant. Hey, Rick, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Your question for Attorney Souter. Hey, thank you for taking my call. I have two questions real quick. One was uh, just recently he filed a lawsuit uh, against the governor. I was wondering if he had responded to it yet. And the second question is, has the governor waived sovereign immunity uh, on any of these cases? Uh, Rick, those are two very good questions. We we received a... Uh we received a an entry of appearance from the governor's lawyer today, and um, um, he's going to read it to you. He's got it on his phone. Hold no, on. No, I was just checking to see. I, I told my staff to to text me should the governor respond during this show, and he has not responded. So no, we're still waiting on the governor to see if he is going to uh, run or come to court and face me. And I. Ace, Ace is a good man. He's done some good things. I, I remember him staring down some terrorists. I remember him being very courageous. So, Governor, you know, if you can do that, you could come to court and face me, don't you think? Okay, what else did you have, Rick? Uh, the second question was, has the governor waived sovereign immunity? No, sir. Uh, we're still waiting on that. I bet Asa Hutchison has the grit to waive sovereign immunity. Which means what? If he waives it, what happens? Then we get to air it out, and the citizens need. And, and if he if he loses, if he wins, he's vindicated. I'm I'm imploring the governor. If you have an explanation, come to the come to court with it. Don't pull your trump card. Understand that you had a servant a public servant looking out after our tax money and he was fired for being insubordinate he has a clean personnel file he wasn't written up we, we've foi'd his personnel file and all it says is, is insubordination well you know the only thing he was insubordinate on he refused to hire a lesser qualified individual and you know governor you should be held accountable if you did wrong you need to come face a jury and explain yourself. All right. Does that answer your questions, Rick? Yes, sir, it does. I appreciate it. Thank All you very right. much. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Eight two three zero nine six five. if you have a question for uh, Attorney Souter as well. Eight two three zero nine six five. Going to get a break in. Let's do that right now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. One zero one one. the answer. All right. We've got about nine minutes left here in this half hour. Our guest is Attorney Luther Suter, he's sitting here in the studio. He'll take your calls. If you have a question, 823-0965 is our local number, 823-0965. Let me turn it back to you, uh, Mr. Suter. Uh, Sovereign immunity. 
Uh, let, let's you take it just that term and help people understand why they need this. Well, the state doesn't need it. It's an antiquated term that originated in England and came to us as part of the common law. Our Constitution was written at a time when uh, the legal landscape was quite a bit different. And there's an amendment that says in Article 5 that says the state of Arkansas shall never be made a defendant in their courts. And uh, what we're arguing now, and it's in a case, it's in in, a, in Singer versus Milligan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish the treasurer would 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 man up and and uh, waive sovereign immunity in his reply brief, but I doubt that'll happen. Because- okay, so what you're telling me is that people who are uh, a constitutional officer or whatever, yes, someone brings a lawsuit against them. You said, was it uh, Article 5? Is this what you're talking Article about? Article 5. says that uh, the state can't be... Oh, no, no. That's Article 2. Article 2. Okay. Can't be uh, be sued. It sounds no, like... No, I'm, I'm wrong. I had a senior minute. It's Article 5. You were right. Okay. Section so, 22. So bottom line is, it sounds like to me, and it sounds like you're trying to move towards this, you're going to need to put this on the ballot and have the people of Arkansas change the Constitution. Yes, sir. In the absence of a reversal by the Arkansas Supreme Court, that's correct. Don't hold your breath. I will not. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, uh, dark money is flooding this state, and a vote for, for the dark money candidate, whomever that is, is a vote to reduce the people's rights, no matter how you slice it, Dave. I filed over 5,000 cases seeking to vindicate people's rights, and I've always put my trust in the people of this state. And why in the world people would think that they should transfer, transfer the power that a jury currently has to the state is beyond me. But, but in all deference to what you're saying here, the, gov- the, the Constitution of this state says— that the citizen can't sue the government. Well, it says shall never be made. And the argument that, that I'm making in Singer versus Milligan is that made means involuntarily. If the gov if the governor if the legislature and the governor who signed it into law says, Okay, um, we can you can sue us, then why shouldn't you be able to, Dave? Well, why should you not be able to? I mean, why, because, would, why wouldn't the governor just say, let's go along with what the Constitution says? Because there's another constitutional provision that says for every wrong, there's a remedy. And Article 2 says that we have a right to remonstrate, which is a fancy word for right to complain. Mm-hmm. So how do you enforce a right if you can't sue? It's Dave, it is logically indefensible. Well, then the people that drew up the Constitution were, were illogical. No, sir. No, sir. They put that provision in Article 5. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is Article 2 rights. Well, I understand that, and, but that doesn't necessarily mean just because it has the lower number, it's the more important right. No, sir. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that every constitutional provision has got to be interpreted in a way that it's meaningful. They're all equal. And I don't think our framers ever intended to give us a right we couldn't enforce. You know, Section 29 says that all rights are reserved to the people. But again, Dave, 
if if your rights are circumscribed by the governor and the constitutional officers decision whether or not to allow you to hold them accountable what do you think the politicians gonna do they're gonna act in their own self-interest well i'm not saying that they won't but i do believe that if article 5 what section 22 says they can then they can and the only way you change that is to change the law well that's the that's the clearest way but i guess what i'm saying to you dave because i mean seriously if you brought this to me and and I got to sign the, you know, the petition to put it onto the ballot. I might be willing to do that. So well, that because you? I think that uh, a person who's a citizen is not a sub-citizen to whoever is uh, in political power at the time. Well, Dave, you know, please understand the breadth of this ruling. If if the government comes and takes your property, well, applying Andrews as it's written, you have no remedy. I understand that. That's why I said I would sign the petition. Right. You said might. Yeah. Well, I would would sign the petition. I believe a citizen should have the ability to bring suit against the government. Yes. In in appropriate circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, and and one of those. I won't even say during appropriate circumstances for the simple reason that who determines what's appropriate and what's not. Well, there are certain things. I mean, that's my libertarian bent coming out now. Yes, sir. I, I understand, but um, you know, our our Article Two rights in our Constitution are very important. And and you know, what people need to understand is a, an attack on one amendment is an attack on all amendments because mm-hmm. all are equal. And what's happening here is uh, while we're focused on our Second Amendment rights, for example, our Fourth Amendment rights are almost nil. Now, our Arkansas Constitution provides us greater protection against the government than our federal Constitution does. But now, although they've said we have this right, we have no way to enforce it, Dave, because the Claims Commission can only award money. And it's it's just completely illogical. And and and, and we're talking about human lives here. Judge Griffin's ruling on the uh, on the uh, disability issue that, yes. that that you uh, referenced. Yes. Reading the Andrews decision the way that uh, that it must be read, from my in my estimation, he doesn't have jurisdiction to even issue that ruling unless the governor waives it. Now I've been fighting for people with disabilities for over. 20 years the the republican party brought us the americans with disabilities act okay and we've been trying to get individualized determinations for people with disabilities you just heard the governor's spokesman talk about uh talk about uh you know sort of being homogenous you know a one size fits all that's not true if you have CP, you can have a mild form of it, or you can have a severe form of it. A computer program won't do it. We've been in this. The, the, the governor has this state has had the the obligation to comply with the ADA for over twenty five years, and we still don't have an Olmstead plan after millions of dollars have been spent trying to to, to get the governor and Mike BB too. That, you know that you know it's just dave we're in a situation where th- this is a crucial year this is a turning point okay so when do you when do you go up with the what you have with your your client i've got 30 seconds i don't know 
You don't know. We're waiting on the governor to answer. All right. Can we get you on in the future? Yes, sir. It's been my pleasure. As you move out, please give your number and contact to uh, to Russ over there so we can get a hold of you. Thank you. All right. Appreciate you. We are out of time on this issue. We'll be back with more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We've got the news coming your way, uh, but SRN uh, wants to tell you what's important in 60 seconds. Here we go. All right. Let's continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I need to talk to you real quickly about Safari Pets. Uh, they're at 808 West Main and Cabot, soon to open up in Conway. I need to get John on here, Sherwood, uh, and Sarah, his wife. They're the co-owners on to the Dave Ellswick Show to talk about their new location in Conway, which I understand is very, very big, and it's going to be a very, very positive uh, for the Conway uh, community. Uh, right now, they're the largest independent pet store in Arkansas, bar none, and they're going to even be bigger uh, coming up here by uh, sometime in June uh, when they open up their new location in Conway. Their phone number is 501-628-0067, and they'll be uh, more than happy to sit down and talk to you on the phone if you want to set up a time to bring your dog in and get them groomed or, or whatever. Here's what I'll tell you if you stop by their location at 808 West Main in Cabot. Whether you got a traditional pet, that'd be cat or dog, or you got the non-traditional or exotic, which is, you know, saltwater fish or freshwater fish, birds, guinea pigs, ferrets, rats, snakes, spiders, scorpions, uh, reptiles, all, all those other uh, types of pets you can have. They have everything you need for taking care of that pet or your pets. I mean, they can show you if you buy a, build, a bearded lizard uh, reptile, a, you know, that one of those lizards, how to build a, a terrarium uh, so that they'll be well taken care of, how warm it should be, what you should be feeding them. If uh, you find out you got to feed them crickets, they've got the crickets to sell you because they've got everything you need, whether it's dog food, cat food, food or crickets or bird feed or whatever to take care of your pet again that's safari pets 808 west main in cabin number there six two eight zero zero six seven and on the internet safari-pet.com that's where you'll find them all right i don't know if you've been following this story i if unless you've had your head in the ground you'll know about it uh, yesterday, the president met with uh, a group of his advisors and uh, mayors from different cities uh, across uh, the United States, several of them in California, talking about sanctuary cities. And uh, as he was talking to people, MS-13 came up, and here's what he had to say about MS-13. Thank you. Why? Because there may be an MS-13 I know about. If they don't reach a certain threshold, I cannot tell ICE about them. We have people coming into the country, trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. And we're taking them out of the country at a level and at a rate that's never happened before. And because of the weak laws, they come in fast. We get them, we release them, we get them again, we bring them out. It's crazy. The dumbest laws, as I said before, the dumbest laws on immigration in the world. So we're going to take care of it. We'll get it done. All right. Now, what was 
What was the president talking about? The lady in the background that you can barely hear, hear asks and makes a mention about MS-13. Is that not correct? Uh, that's correct. That's, that's what she said. And the president, when he's responding to her, is responding in context to her question. And so he's talking MS-13. He's talked about MS-13 in the past. I've done a ton of shows on MS-13 because MS-13, MS the gangs that are out there, we've got them here in Arkansas. we got them right here in Little Rock. And I'm just telling you, these are some bad, bad hombres. They are really bad. They make the, the Crips and the Bloods look at like Rebecca at Sunnybrook Farm. Killing is part of the initiation process to get into this gang. You must kill somebody to be part of that gang, not necessarily with the Crips and the Bloods. I mean, I can, I'm, I've been telling you the stories. They have a real bad uh, problem with them up in uh, uh, Manhattan area of New York. Uh, in the pardon me, in the Long Island part of New York, and it, it's terrible. They've they've killed uh, young females. They've they've killed young men. Uh, they've murdered people in horrific fa fashions. And yet, the left yesterday used what the president said as a methodology, saying this is how he feels about all immigrants. And you. Listen to that answer. It is not about all immigrants. Here's what Nancy Pelosi uh, had to say. But since you brought up the subject of immigration again, it reminds me that, and as I was talking about uh, the religious groups and how they're concerned about feeding the hungry and gospel of Matthew and the rest, 41 million people in our country are food insecure. Uh, we believe, that some of us who are attracted to the political arena, to government and public service, uh, that uh, we're all God's children. There's a spark of divinity in every person on earth, and that we all have to recognize that as we respect the dignity and worth of every person, and as we recognize our responsibilities with that spark of divinity within us. And so when the President of the United States says about undocumented immigrants, these aren't people these are animals. You have to wonder, does he not believe in the spark of divinity, the dignity and worth of every person? These are not people. These are animals. The president of the United States. Every day that you think you've seen it all, along comes another manifestation of why their policies are so inhumane and why we have to continue the debate, striving for bipartisanship with openness about what is, what is at stake and what the choices are, and to be unifying in every way possible. Calling people animals is not a good thing. Thank you. Bye-bye. And those animals are getting our crumbs. Nah. MS-13 is what the president was talking about, not just immigration. You heard in its entirety what the president had to say. He's not talking about just any old immigrant. He's talking about MS-13. Now, his spokesman today uh, came right at, I think it was an NBC reporter, if I'm not mistaken, who asked her about what the, uh, the president had to say about immigrants yesterday. 
And uh, Sanders did a great job coming back at him. I want to ask you, because so many people in the country have been talking about it in the last 24 hours, what did the president mean when he said that some immigrants are not people, they're animals? Uh, the president was very clearly referring to MS-13 gang members who enter the country illegally and whose deportations are hamstrung by our laws. Uh, this is one of the most vicious and deadly gangs that operates by the motto of rape, control, and kill. If the media and liberals want to defend MS-13, they're more than welcome to. Uh, frankly, I don't think the term that the president used was strong enough. MS-13 has done heinous acts. Uh, it took an animal to stab a man a hundred times and decapitate him and rip his heart out. It took an animal to beat a woman. They were sex trafficking with a bat 28 times, indenting part of her body. And it took an animal to kidnap, drug, and rape a 14-year-old Houston girl. Frankly, I think that the term animal doesn't go far enough. And I think that the president should continue to use his platform and everything he can do under the law to stop these types of horrible, horrible, disgusting people. There you go. And that, I'm just going to tell you what, that's just a few, a very few examples of what this gang does. And I've called them worse than animals. They come from basically Guatemala. And uh, many of them are, are former military members from down there. They get young people involved. And they, they turn them into soulless little killers. Exactly what they do. I'd like to get the, uh, you know, the gang task force people here in Little Rock on to talk about these people. I mean, they have no conscience. They don't, they don't care about killing anybody. It is what they do. And I'm all for the president doing everything that can be done to uh, find them, catch them, and send them back to the countries they come from. If they killed somebody in this country, put them in jail and keep them there. They have no redeeming quality at, at, at all. And for Pelosi, I only got one question. How ridiculous to use the spark of the divine to talk about MS-13 when you have no problem passing laws to kill unborn children that have that exact same spark. She should be, she should be completely embarrassed about what she says. Of course, she's not because she's Nancy freaking Pelosi. Unbelievable. I'll leave it open to you, 8230965. Yeah, that you can call in and, and talk if you like, 8230965. Who we got on line one there? And I'll pick him up there, Russ. Daryl is on. Hey, hey, Daryl, how are you? Whoop, he hung up. All right. We'll try again, Daryl. Call back, 8230965. We'll try to hit you on here on the, uh, the date. We got him now? No, we don't have him. You call back. We'll put you on. I got to get a break in. Let's do that. Uh, this is one of the worst, worst examples of taking what the president has says said and taking it completely out of compl- uh, context. And uh, if you're here and you're uh, an immigrant and you're here and, and you're, you know, uh, legal, 
don't buy into this. I'm going to tell you, most of the people who live uh, in Hispanic communities and have got to deal with the, this group want them gone faster than we do. All right, Daryl's back with us. Hey, 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 Daryl, how you doing? Sorry, I pushed the wrong button. That's okay. I don't know it, Mary, but I'll tell you one thing. You're absolutely correct. And if Nancy Pelosi said that, she needs to stand up and apologize because that's a bunch of crap. Well, she said it. I played it without any any editing whatsoever. If they try to use that, that's absolutely ridiculous. Well, they're using you know, it. You know what these people do. You already said it. You know what they do. Yep, I do. I've, I've done stories about it. I remember when we were having the, all the shootings and everything, you may remember me talking about this, and I said oh, MS-13 is here in this city, and that's where the killing's coming from. Bye, guys. Somebody needs to do something about that. I think Trump will do it. All right. We appreciate your call. Thanks, Daryl. Uh, 8230965. Got to get a break in. When we come back, we'll continue with this. I'll play those, those cuts for you one more time here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. So let me just take you back real quick. Uh, this is a story that was filed back on March 3rd, 2017. This is, this is, been ongoing here in this country. MS-13 gang members, more than a dozen members, were indicted Thursday on seven killings on Long Island spanning three years. Okay, so now it takes us back to 2014, including the deaths of several high school students last year. And how did they get here? They came across the border as youth. Youth. You know, trying to get out of, uh, you know, countries that, uh, you know, that were uh, terrorizing young people. So you brought MS-13 members in and the Obama administration let them in. So they ended up coming up on the East Coast. This was a 41 count indictment. Two of the students that were killed, Nisa Mickens, 15, and Kayla uh, Cueva, 16, were beaten to death by baseball bats and then chopped up with a machete. Yeah, sounds like animals to me. This happened in Suffolk County, about 45 miles east of New York City. At the time, police said there appeared to be gang involvement in the girls' deaths. So on top of uh, those two, uh, Jose Pena, 18, was killed on June 3, 2016. His skeletal remains were discovered on October 17, 2016, in a wooded area that served as a burial ground for MS-13 victims. He was killed because he was suspected of violating gang rules, federal authorities said. His uh, bones bore the marks of repeated stab wounds and beatings with a bat, a blunt force instrument. Suffolk police have cracked down on MS-13. Police have collected intelligence on MS-13 and created a list of gang members to put under surveillance. Since September of 2016, uh, the gang task force leader said 125 MS-13 members have been arrested. We are going to eradicate MS-13 from these communities. MS-13 is one of the largest criminal organizations in the U.S. 
an international criminal organization. It has more than 6,000 members in the U.S., including a presence in at least 46 states and the District of Columbia. More than 30,000 members operate mostly in El Salvador, Mexico, Honduras, and Guatemala. MS-13 is the largest and most violent street gang in Long Island. They have said two of the suspects are U.S. citizens, a third suspect is a legal permanent resident, and the rest are undocumented immigrants. If convicted, the defendants could face up to life in prison or the death penalty. And you can go, just, just Google. Spend a little bit of time this afternoon or this evening and uh, Google MS-13 and read about them. These are heartless killers. Read about their their motto, the three words they live under. This is murder, rape, control. That's the three. That's their three. Their three word motto: murder, rape, control. Wherever they're at, they want to control, and that means they will kill anybody that gets in their way. Period. All right, Dave Ellswick show. I just I had to come. Uh, on this to defense on on what the uh, uh, the president had said that it was being misrepresented in the media. What's a big surprise about that? Uh, what uh, Nancy Pelosi had to say, shame on her. She should be ashamed on what she has said. And uh, you know, bottom line, what uh, Sanders Huckabee or Huckabee Sanders had to say today from the podium. Uh, during the press briefing to that NBC reporter and given some real uh, just straight confirmation that what the president, who he was calling animals, was MS-13. Hey, don't forget about PI Roofing. Uh, They are good, good folks. They'll do a great job on your roof, but they're doing more now because it's not only PI Roofing, it's PI Roofing and Home Solutions. The Home Solutions is, is that Joel Johnson, the owner, understood that when you have a leak in your roof, water gets in your house. And water in the inside of your house don't mix real good. You start getting drywall problems. You get stains on your ceiling. You have problems with your insulation. It can get into your ventilation, form into black mold, be blown all through your house. This is not good. And to get things like that fixed, you got to like contact a different contractor for every job because one contractor takes place in taking care of painting. Another takes care of drywall, carpentry work, exterior painting, interior painting, insulation replacement, ventilation, all of that. So why not go to one place that does all of it? Well, that's PI Roofing. And Joel Johnson, the owner, has put together a couple of crews and he's probably going to get more together even because this is blowing up. People are really using it. And if you have some destruction because of that water getting in your house, they'll fix it for you. They'll do the painting. They'll cover up, you know, the discoloration on your ceiling. They'll take care of the drywall that has been destroyed. They'll work on your insulation and ventilation. They'll do all of that because they got the people to do it for you. All you have to do is call them. Of course, you can call them because you got a problem with your roof. They'll fix that, too, and do a great job just like you did to mine. 501-687-6246. They're here in North Little Rock, 
501-687-6246, or on the internet, find them at PI Roofing or piroofing.com. Either location, they'll be happy to get a hold uh, of you and be able to fix this stuff for you. Yeah, spark a divinity here for MS-13, but nothing for an unborn child, huh? Now, Russ, how do you how do you explain somebody with such little knowledge as Nancy Pelosi? And how do you explain that so many Democrats back her up and want her as Speaker of the House? You can't explain it. You just have to pray for her. Yeah, that's what you do. You pray. You pray for her, and you pray that Democrats won't put her in as Speaker of the House if, by chance, they win control back of the House. That woman doesn't need the gavel in her hand ever, ever. Let me see one more time, ever again. All right, we're coming back in next hour. Brian Riley will join us. The NAFTA negotiations continue. They're coming to an end. What can we expect? He'll tell us when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's move into uh, the 4 o'clock hour. Some of you are on your way home. You lucky dogs, you. You are on your way home. And your day is over. Many of us still have an, an hour or two yet to work. So uh, we'll be behind you. Just clear the way. You know, shake out the the leaves on the trees and then blow them off the road so the rest of us can get home without a problem. We got Brian Riley joining us today on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to talk about NAFTA because uh, those negotiations – between the United States, Mexico, and uh, Canada are coming to an end, and there's going to have to be some final, uh, fina- finality. We get it out uh, done, and we'll find out where we're going. And Brian is joining us today uh, to talk about that. Brian, how are you? You work with the uh, trade initiative. Uh, from uh, the Free Trade Initiative with NTU, and I wanted to ask you to kind of walk my listeners through, if you would, uh, where we're at at NAFTA. I, I've yet to be able to figure what the president is trying to do and what uh, what uh, uh, Canada and Mexico are trying to do. I mean, are, are we going to get some clarification on this whole thing about trucks coming from uh, from uh, Mexico, things of that nature. Are those things on the table here? Yes, they are on the table. And I will tell you, uh, you're not alone. None of us know exactly what the state of play is in the, the negotiations. What, what we do know is under the U.S. congressional uh, calendar, if there was a deal that Congress might approve this year, they were going to have to have it delivered to them uh, by today. And so far, that, that hasn't happened. Um, so it turns out there are just a lot of sticking points between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. And I think the U.S. thought was we, we, they, they know we've got a deadline coming up if we want to get a deal approved by Congress. And so that deadline might force some action. And it, it sure looks like that hasn't happened. And part of the confusion has come from from differences of opinion over NAFTA. There are those who think it's been a good agreement and could be improved. Those who think it's a bad agreement and just needs to be scrapped. Or those that think it's a bad agreement and we need to redo it substantially. And um, there are differences within the U.S. 
but also differences between us and Canada and Mexico. And it looks like the, the, the gap is just too broad for us to uh, be able to get a deal anytime soon. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm going to pick up the paper tomorrow and there will have been some miraculous <laughs> behind-the-scenes deal cut. Um, but, but all the reports are that, that it's just taking longer to get done um, than, than was expected. And, and the, the reason I see for that delay is when our U.S. trade representative, Robert Lighthizer, went to Congress almost exactly a year ago and said, uh, we're going to renegotiate NAFTA, and we're, what we're going to do is we're going to try and modernize it and improve it. And Canada and Mexico were, were on board with that approach. Uh, but, so NAFTA's been in effect since 1994, and a lot has changed since then. So it was due for some updating. Well, then it turns out we wanted to do more than just update it and really take out scraps, bits and pieces we don't like, add in some new things that were, were going to be really controversial. Um, and, as, and as a result, we're, we're left with what we've got. So the interesting thing now is going to be, do we just keep on talking and try and get some changes down the road, or does the administration um, play hardball and, and say, look, we – tried to get an agreement. We couldn't get it done, so we're just going to pull out of NAFTA entirely. I I don't see that happening anytime soon, but um, it's certainly a possibility. So that is my best explanation of of where we're at today. So the unfortunate thing is if you're a U.S. farmer or rancher or, or if you're working for a business that sells to Canada and Mexico, is there's a lot of uncertainty right now. You don't know for sure what uh, our access to their market is going to be like. Um, they're increasingly sourcing from countries like Brazil. And even though the agreement itself has not changed, just that uncertainty is is complicating things for farmers and ranchers and U.S. car makers as well, because a lot of cars and really almost anything you buy is no longer entirely made in the USA or, or made in Canada or made in Mexico. It's made with bits and pieces from all over the world. Um, and until we figure out exactly what we're going to do with NAFTA, there's just a lot of questions hanging in the air. And when you're in business, you don't like uncertainty. You like to know where things are at, good, bad, or otherwise, and then you can move forward. Yeah, I, I guess I remember going back to the, the, the 90s now when Clinton was in office and NAFTA was being uh, portrayed as this great solution of, you know, we were wanting to be kind of like the European Union and all of that, and there was a lot of things people were hoping would happen that didn't, thank God. I mean, thank goodness we still have the dollar. We don't have, uh, you know, uh, a Mexico, uh, USA, uh, Canadian currency or anything like that because there were people, globalists, that that's exactly what they were shooting for, but I think that they did a lot of damage uh, uh, to a, a lot of different people. And the most damage now that's being done is just what you, you alluded to, which is the unknown. What is going to happen? There's a lot of people have to make decisions, business decisions, not knowing what's going to happen with NAFTA. And I'm sure the president is aware of that. Uh, what do you think his thoughts are on this? Uh, how long does he think the farmers of this country can can look out and, and go, 
well, is this going to happen or not happen, et cetera, et cetera? Well, boy, that's a good question. And I was talking to family, family friends uh, just north of you in Missouri a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was about a month ago, and then he said, yeah, up here we're trying to we got to decide what to plant, <laughs> and, and we don't know what's happening with Mexico. We don't know what's happening with China, and we need to get some kind of resolution or there could be a lot of innocent people hurt. So I, I think the president is aware of that. Yeah, I, I mean— Also, a good NAFTA really helps us in the world trading system when we're trying to compete with China and compete with the European Union. And I stress a, a good NAFTA. I've never— thought that we just need to have trade agreements for the sake of having trade agreements. You made a, an important point, which is, um, I feel like I could put, put it in my words, that the details of these agreements really make a big difference. Um, and there's clear, there are clearly those out there who want to use our trade agreements as a way to inject more control over Americans. Uh, they want to include things like the minimum wage Mm-hmm. Uh, requirements in trade agreements. Now, so regardless of whether minimum wage is good or bad or should be higher or lower, that's something that I don't think has any part of our, our, our trade agreements. I don't I don't want Mexico or Canada telling us what our minimum wage should be and, and vice versa. I, don't, I doubt they want people in the U.S. telling them what their minimum wages should be. Um, the new NAFTA negotiations, Canada had wanted to require that that U.S. states could no longer have right-to-work laws, and they wanted to include uh, gender issues and a whole lot of things that, again, whether they did that or otherwise, really get beyond what I think the scope of good trade agreements should be, and, and that's to reduce barriers between countries to do business. And it's, NAFTA is so interesting to me because President Clinton was a big advocate, but the... Um, really impetus. So the first idea for, for NAFTA was from President Reagan in 1979 when he announced he was running for president. He said, uh, we need a North American accord that makes doing business between the three countries more like doing business between the, the 50 states. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's pretty easy in, in, in big picture to say, well, a good agreement would be, yeah, we could be for that. But then when you get down to the details of what, what is really in the, these deals, um, then, then it gets a lot more complicated. And the more complicated and the more issues that get involved, the, um, the harder it is to reach any kind of resolution. Now, yeah. you, you know, the way That's I look right. at it, Brian, if they, if they want to have the same kind of uh, clarification and ease of trade as the 50 states have working amongst each other, uh, then, you know, drop the, the moniker of being a country as Canada and a country as Mexico and say, you know what, we'd like to become the United States of America, then maybe we can talk. Well, that's certainly true. And I think one of the goals in, in trade agreements was not necessarily to, of course, to make countries part of the U.S., but to encourage them to adopt some U.S. values. Uh, for, for example, in NAFTA, there is a requirement that Canada and Mexico couldn't uh, confiscate U.S. property without providing compensation. So that goes right back to our Constitution that governments aren't, our government's not supposed to steal our property without compensating us. Mm-hmm. And that same provision is built into NAFTA. 
So I, I think that's something that's beneficial to, to Americans and also helps encourage rule of law in Mexico. I, one of the things that uh, concerns me for, for everybody who's, who's worried about immigration is that uh, if the, some of the protections that are in NAFTA go away, if NAFTA goes away and if Mexico does what it looks like they're going to do, which is uh, elect a very left-wing president, there's, we're going to face immigration pressures much, much more um, that are much more serious than we have in in years. Oh yeah, so, they want their people to come over here so you can ship their money back over there. Well, uh, and I and if for a good trade agreement, what it should do is the opposite: is give people opportunities to have jobs at home, so yes. that they don't have to pack up and move around the world. So that's the goal. I would. Uh, that I hope that we will continue to advance. To, uh, yeah, on forward. our side, yeah. of course. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. all I'm all about that. But uh, I mean, I I don't know what your age is, is is Brian. But I mean, I remember very clearly back in the '90s. You know, they were they were talking of NAFTA as being, you know, we're going to become just like uh, the Europeans, and uh, it, you know, we're going to have a uh, you know a combined. Uh, monetary policy and all of that. Do you remember all of that? Has that all died away now? Do you think that that has been taken care of and it's been, you know, we've dug a hole deep enough and drove, uh, drove a stick, uh, through a stake through its heart and, uh, and put it in the ground and we don't ever have to worry about it lifting its ugly head again? Well, no, I think we have to continue to be alert to those kinds of possibilities. I, I, the one thing that, that has happened is if you if you look at the EU today, and yeah, and I do remember those those issues um, and the idea that NAFTA maybe should be more like the EU. And I and I remember mm-hmm. at the time Margaret Thatcher in in England was was saying the opposite. The EU should be more like more like NAFTA and should be more like reducing trade barriers and not imposing uh, a new uh, government and regulatory apparatus that the people in England had no control over. So. What we see now in in uh, Europe is countries, and Great Britain's a perfect example, saying we want out of this. Um, so that certainly should push back against the the, the more. I don't, people use different words in different ways, but the, the globalist idea of well, we're going to outsource our government to some supranational body and that's gonna we're gonna have North American regulations and um, as opposed to we want to have sovereignty and uh, want to really work on giving our government the opportunity to reduce regulations and have reasonable taxes and make it easier to compete in the global economy because I mean I, I really think that if the government would just get out of the way, and give Americans an opportunity to compete. You know, you look at our farmers and ranchers, you look at our aerospace industry, you look at our car makers, and we can compete with anybody in the world if we have an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, our production, the production of the American worker has always been superior uh, to Europe and to Canada and to Mexico. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we know for a fact through studies that uh, you go down and open up a, a factory in Mexico, and you may save some money in labor costs, 
but in quality of the product being produced, it's nowhere near what we do here in the United States. No, you're exactly right. And uh, our manufacturing output in the U.S. has, has never been higher. Yep. Now, part, part of the reason for that is we do more high-tech, high-value-added uh, jobs here, and some of the more labor-intensive jobs have gone to other countries. And so there have been winners and losers. But as with new technology, trade should give us the opportunities to make more, um, to earn more, and have opportunities to raise living standards here in the United States as a result. Another concern some people have had with trade agreements in the past is that uh, the U.S. has had diplomatic goals that they we, we've, we've used trade agreements to advance. Uh, and I think our agreements where we're at today is we have to really make sure that they're in U.S. economic interests as well. Absolutely. Create, create more opportunities here and not be one-sided deals um, that only benefit other other countries and not the U.S. So that's the most important factor that, that I see um, going forward. And with respect to NAFTA, who, who knows exactly what is going to happen. Um, but there are countries around the world that um, need to do more to open up to make it easier for us to do business with them. And one of the difficult things is how do we, how do we encourage that? And uh, that's going to be an ongoing concern, I think, for Americans. Well, the president's done a fairly good job of the carrot and the stick. He's offered carrot, and if they don't come around and he whacks them with the stick, I'm kind of, you know, that's where we're at kind of with China at times. But bottom line, I, I, I think the president is on the right, uh, the right rails right now. Um, I'm sorry to, to hear that NAFTA doesn't sound like that it's moving as quickly as it should. They've known what they known about having to do this for a long, long time, but we'll see what comes out. Brian, let's keep in touch. Have you back on when we have something more solid. How's that sound? Uh, anytime. Thanks for the chance to, to chat today. All right. Appreciate it. That was Brian uh, Riley. He's with the Free Trade Initiative from NTU. We'll have uh, more uh, to talk about here in a moment. Let's take a break on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we've got uh, news coming up. We've got a minute of it. Get you an update on what's going on. Uh, we're going to have a new CIA director. The uh, Intelligence Committee, Hespel, is going to move on uh, for the big vote going up uh, in the Senate. Don't expect it not to pass. So uh, she's going to be the new. I like the way USA Today said it, and I say that with uh, – all of the cynicism dripping on my lips as I can. She supported terrorism. She has passed through the committee without any kind of objective information behind it at all, that during that time, our whole government believed in using enhanced interrogation. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, was the FBI in the Trump campaign? That's next on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we move into uh, the final 25 minutes of the 4 o'clock hour. Don't forget 5 o'clock. Uh, J.R. Davis uh, is going to be with us from the governor's office. Sony's, uh, Son- Sony's. Sony's Auto Salvage is your number one choice for recycled auto parts. And uh, I can only uh, tell you from personal experience how well uh, and how good Sonny's is. For instance, I can tell you that 
Uh, I have put a transmission in my 2009 Corolla, courtesy of, of Sonny's. They went out to one of those total loss vehicles they got and uh, pulled out a transmission, only had uh, about 15,000 miles on it, uh, put it in my car, gave me a three-year uh, warranty, parts and labor and unlimited mileage. For three years, I don't have to worry about that transmission at all. And that's a good thing. Well, we ran into a problem that one cylinder didn't have enough, uh, you know, power in it. And because of that, we put a, one of the, uh, uh, Sunday's auto salvage motors into that, uh, Corolla as well, uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's running like a top now, three-year parts and labor on it, unlimited mileage. I don't have to worry about the motor for three years. I gave it to my my daughter and son-in-law, and now for three years in their early marriage, they don't have to worry about that car. If it breaks down, they can take it uh, take it in and get it fixed. In fact, they had uh, a piece go out on that engine, uh, and uh, Sonny's uh, repaired it immediately. You know, and uh, you can expect things like that to happen at times. They fixed it. The car was back up and running no time whatsoever. Done a great job on it. I, I highly recommend Sonny's Auto Salvage. Let them be your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Why buy a new car? Why buy an OEM part? Get a well-maintained total loss vehicle part. Recycle the way recycling should work. And let Sonny's... Back it up with a three-year parts and labor warranty, unlimited mileage. You'll be glad you did. It's way to go. Sonny's Auto Salvage, give them a call. Talk to RD over there. Uh, 982-7451. 982-7451. Just talk to your uh, your auto technician. They know who Sonny's is. They've used them. I'm sure of that. All right. Big story that's been out the last few days. Oh, let me bring you the update. Gina Haspel. Uh, who a lot of people a couple of weeks ago didn't think she had a, a snowball's chance, and you know where, uh, from making it through uh, the uh, committee to b- get in front of uh, the Senate and being okayed as the head of the CIA, uh, has been uh, given the the, th- the green light, thumbs up, uh, from uh, the Intelligence Committee, made it's w- making her way now over to the Senate, I would think, that vote take care uh, take us uh, maybe the end of this week early next week, uh, and that is even though uh, you know the Maverick told them they shouldn't vote for her. I wouldn't I, I, I wouldn't support her. Well, that people don't care what you have to say anymore, dude. You gonna get to this conspiracy theory? Saying, thing? Well, yeah, I'm gonna talk about it. I got I got Kellyanne uh, uh, Conway here. I mean, it was the New York Times who wrote a story about this. And evidently, Put on your ten hats, by the way, folks. No, I don't think it's ten hat stuff. I'm. Uh, I'll talk more about it in next week because tomorrow's Friday, fun, fun Friday. Uh, although we're going to have a serious guest on tomorrow, we've got uh, Judge Hickson is going to be on uh, to talk to us uh, what uh, tomorrow. Kind of judge is he? He's running for the Supreme Court. Okay. He's uh, he's in. He's one of the three: Sterling, Helm, and Goodson. So, I just want to make sure I'm not in a whole lot of trouble. No, you're you're fine. They're not coming in. You don't have to worry. Police will not be here to read you your rights. Okay, just awesome. keep that in mind. All right. So let's uh, let's hear with uh, Kellyanne Conway because she says it looks like uh, the Trump campaign may in fact have been surveilled 
by the FBI. A few things, but what we know very crisply and significantly is that uh, as these revelations are making their way forward, it looks like the Trump campaign may, in fact, have been surveilled. It looks mm -hmm. like the, there was an informant there. We'll see, as the president likes to say, we'll see what happens. We'll see what the facts may reveal. But I think those who have been digging for and, and conjecturing for over a year should be careful what they wish for. There you go. <laughs> I love Conway. You may not be happy with what is found. And uh, this informant for the FBI, they have been shucking and jiving uh, for uh, months now to not say who it is because they, be they, they, they are using the old fallback. And let me tell you, when the government falls back on this with one person, you know that they don't have anything else to protect the Who's person. Who's been doing the Belgian Clinton? And well, you know, which one? What they're saying is if we tell you who this is, their life might be in danger. Or maybe I should put it this way. Who's been doing the uh, Clinton waffling? Yeah, that's it. The FBI has. That's who's been okay. doing stonewalling like you wouldn't believe. I, you know, I think everybody understands by now that if everything comes out about what the FBI has been up to, the FBI will lose so much credibility. Nobody will ever look at that organization the same ever, ever, ever again. So this is making the FBI look worse than the CIA. Uh, well, it's, it's making the FBI look like they're nothing more than a political organization. And they were big time in the tank for Obama. Because evidently the way this is looking is that Obama ordered Comey to put somebody into the Trump campaign. And man, if that comes out, that's bigger than Watergate, Russ. That's, that's bigger than Watergate ever came to be. So, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Number one, understand that the mainstream media is not going to get behind this narrative. They're going to figure out some way to lie uh, about this as much as they can. Just the way Nancy Pelosi lied when she talked about President Trump uh, when he said that, uh, you know, talking about immigration, uh, he was talking about uh, just regular immigrants, illegal immigrants, when he made that savage uh, uh, kind of uh, a statement. Not true. He was talking about MS-13, talking about animals. Here, uh, let me go back and play that for you because I promised that I would. Which one? This is this is from yesterday. The president was in a meeting with a lot of different people about sanctuary cities, and they were talking about it. And he had a lot of California mayors there who do not like Jerry Brown's policy and the 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 Democrat Party state party, uh, and and what they're trying to do, and. They were talking about that, and one of these mayors talked about MS-13. Listen closely in the background to the mayor, and then listen to what the president says. Thank you. Why would well, there well, be well. an MS-13 gang member sure. I know about? If they don't reach a certain threshold, I cannot tell ICE about them. We have people coming into the country or trying to come in. We're stopping a lot I of can't them. tell ICE about MS-13. We're taking people out of the said. country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. Now he's referring to MS-13. Very obvious. A level of rape that's never happened before. 
And because of the weak laws, they come in fast. We get them, we release them, we get them again, we bring them out. It's crazy. The dumbest laws, as I said before, the dumbest laws on immigration in the world. So we're going to take care of it. We'll get it done. All right. So the president uh, is answering this lady, and I don't, pardon me, I don't know who the lady was. Uh, He answers uh, what she's saying about MS-13, and she's saying, look, we can't even turn MS-13 in California over to ICE. They can't do anything to them or with them. President goes off on that, saying we got some of the dumbest immigration laws around, that we catch them and release them. Catch who? Immigrants? No. Catch MS-13, and we let them go. And it's true. We've been doing it, catch and release, uh, you know, for years, all eight years that that Obama uh, was in uh, the uh, the presidency, and these people were coming in as as uh, young people, and because they were coming in as young people, uh, they were blown through the system and delivered all over the United States to different areas where they have all kinds of problems with MS-13 now. I mean, just take a look at, just do just do a Google search, MS-13 Long Island. Uh, go ahead and do, do MS-13 Little Rock. We've had some problems with them. And uh, take a look at, there's like uh, 30,000 of them here in the United States, and they're in 46 different states. We got bad problems because we've handled them with kid gloves, and he said they were animals. And and of course, uh, Nancy Pelosi picked this up and uh, and talked about it today in front of the media. And if you want to hear something disgusting, listen how she spins this so that it sounds like uh, the president was just talking about all immigrants, which he wasn't. But one thing I want to make mention of, she says everybody has a divine spark in them. Everybody has a divine spark, unless you're unborn, according to Nancy uh, Pelosi. And then you have no divine spark at all, and we can kill you any time that we want to. Uh, here's what she had to say today. But since you brought up the subject of immigration again, it reminds me that, and as I was talking about uh, the religious groups and how they're concerned about feeding the hungry and the gospel of Matthew and the rest, 41 million people in our country are food insecure. Uh, we believe, that some of us who are attracted to the political arena, uh, to government and public service, uh, that uh, we're all God's children. There's a spark of divinity in every person on earth, and that we all have to recognize that as we respect the dignity and worth of every person, and as we recognize our responsibilities with that spark of divinity within us. And so when the President of the United States says, about undocumented immigrants. These aren't people. These are animals. It's not what he said. You have to wonder, does he not believe in the spark of divinity, the dignity and worth of every person? These are not people. These are animals. The president of the United States. Every day that you think you've seen it all, along comes another manifestation of why their policies so inhumane and why we have to continue the debate, striving for bipartisanship with openness about what is what is at stake and what the choices are and to be unifying in every way possible. 
calling people animals is not a good thing. Thank you. Bye-bye. It is when you're talking about MS-13 because I got other words for them. They're worse than animals. They're savages. Let's uh, later on in the day, news reporter from NBC questioned Huckabee Sanders about this, and she laid it out for him. I just want to ask you, because so many people in the country have been talking about it in the last 24 hours, what did the president mean when he said that some immigrants are not people, they're animals? I'm stupid, uh, I don't know. The president was very clearly referring to MS-13 gang members who enter the country illegally and whose deportations are hamstrung by our laws. Uh, this is one of the most vicious and deadly gangs that operates by the motto of rape, control, and kill. If the media and liberals want to defend MS-13, they're more than welcome to. Uh, frankly, I don't think the term that the president used was strong enough. MS-13 has done heinous acts. Uh, it took an animal to stab a man a hundred times and decapitate him and rip his heart out. It took an animal to beat a woman. They were sex trafficking with a bat 28 times, indenting part of her body. And it took an animal to kidnap, drug, and rape a 14-year-old Houston girl. Frankly, I think that the term animal doesn't go far enough. And I think that the president should continue to use his platform and everything he can do under the law to stop these types of horrible horrible disgusting people yeah no kidding no kidding nancy pelosi well she's worried about him and then she spins it absolutely wrong by saying he was talking about just immigrants which he wasn't he was answering a question specifically about ms 13 you just heard it the uh, of course um, members of the National media didn't let you hear the statement and the question from the mayor out in California. Let's take a quick break on hey, all of this. Yes, I just wanted to let you know that Margaret that he was referring to yes. is Sheriff Margaret Mims. Okay, thank you very much. It wasn't a mayor, sheriff out there. She said— She's in Fresno County. Here's, the, here's what she said. How do we deal with MS-13? We can't even turn them over to ICE, which is a federal organization, because in California, the governor won't let them do that. It's made it illegal. You know, they got that thing on the ballot out in California about breaking up California into three states. I think that may get some, it's going to be on the ballot. I think it might pass. I think the people that are from the interior of California and from the northern part of California and the southern part down in the San Diego area are fed up with these uh, elitists that are in uh, Sacramento and uh, San Francisco and in uh, L.A. and are tired of them calling the shots. We very may well see uh, California, California 2 and California 3 before this is all said and done. Margaret's uh, Sheriff Mims' exact words, as she put it. All right. There could be an MS-13 member I know about. If they don't reach a certain threshold, I cannot tell ICE about it. There you go. Bottom line, I'm just telling you that that stuff that was was uh, the the Obama administration was involved in. Every you know, you might have p- voted for that guy and think he's the best thing since uh, canned beer, but I'm going to tell you what: most of his policies were some of the dumbest crap I've ever heard of. If you just take a little bit of time and take a look at them. All right, it's uh, nine minutes till. Let's get a break. We got news coming up at the top of the hour. 
I'll be right back. All right. I Here's what I'm talking about when you have to talk about the left. Here's a guy who covers Washington uh, as a writer. His name is John Harwood. And, and let me read what he had to say uh, on his uh, Twitter account last night. It's real easy to, to read this. MS-13 are people, too. Did you hear that, Russ? MS-13 gang members are uh, are people, too. Yeah, people that should be locked up and the key thrown away. For all Being of them. Being nice. Yeah. Just, I'm just saying, it's um, unbelievable well, when I when I see that stuff coming down the way it comes down anymore. It just, it's, the left ama- amazes me at their stupidity. They they really do. The stupidity of the left is really really uh, incredible. Just about out of time. Let me tell you a little bit about what to expect. Uh, coming up tomorrow uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we're going to have, of course, Matt Smith in because uh, tomorrow is uh, Fun Friday. So he comes in and we talk about the new movies that's coming out. The biggest movie that's coming out tomorrow, and it's going to be huge at the box office. A lot of people are talking as though they believe this movie will be as big as uh, the Avengers and, uh, you know, Infinity War, I don't believe that. But uh, Deadpool 2 comes out tonight. I'm seeing it at 7 o'clock, so I'll be talking about it tomorrow. So it's going to be a big movie. I don't think it's going to be as big as Avengers was just a couple of weeks ago. Avengers has already done a billion dollars worldwide. I don't think, uh, you know, Deadpool's going to do that, but I think it'll do very well, probably in the 800 million range. With that said, that's coming up. We'll talk about that. And. Uh, Judge Hinson is going to be on tomorrow. He's running, of course, Hickson, pardon me, is running for uh, the uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, Justice. We'll talk with him tomorrow. He'll talk about why he you should vote for him as well as dark money. <laughs> I make fun of that. I'm sorry. I, I have to. But with that said, it's been good being with you today. I've enjoyed the time. Always like talking with you. Uh, try to give you all the truth that's out there that mainstream media will not give to you. We're going to repeat our first hour with J.R. Davis, Governor's spokesman. Got a lot of good things in that hour. Stick around for more of the Dave Ellswick Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.